0: This is Glenn Crooks on frame. On Wednesday night in Seattle, FC Dallas earned a a vital point against the Sounders 0-0. First clean sheet in eight games for Dallas, who have now moved into seventh place in the Western Conference, jumping ahead of the Portland Timbers, who fell at home to the New York Red Bulls 2-0. All right, to talk about the Seattle-Dallas game and help us preview this Sunday's match, New York City FC at FC Dallas, is the TV voice for Dallas, Mark Folliwell. Mark, hello. How are you?
1: I'm good, Glenn. Always a pleasure to speak with you. I'm looking forward to a great game on Sunday. And, and as you know, it's a good weekend in Frisco, Texas, with the National Soccer Hall of Fame induction, Justin Obelotti and Abby Wombach. So it's a pretty exciting time around here right now.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be down for that as well, and but let's get to that in a moment. I, I want to go back to uh, one of your final calls of the game last night after uh, it had ended. Uh, I think I have this uh, almost direct quote. You called it the rarest achievements for FC Dallas, a draw in Seattle. So Dallas doesn't normally do well there?
1: It was uh, the rarest of achievements because in 12 regular season games for SC Dallas in Seattle, uh, they have five points in 12 games. They won a game in 2011. They threw another game in 2010. So they had lost eight straight regular season games playing up in Seattle. And there have been some ugly games too, Glenn. There was a 5-0, uh, I believe, along the way. There was a 6-3 or 5-2 or to or something along those lines. Uh, four to nothing was mixed in there at another point in time at some moment. So they just, they really had a lot of poor performances there over the years. And uh, to be able to come out of that with something was, uh, uh, it, it doesn't happen very often. And then with the perspective of, uh, as you noted, uh, probably heard us mention on the telecast last night, they, they had not kept a clean sheet in some time. And because of the uh, playoff race of the Western Conference, just for a lot of reasons, it was, it wasn't pretty at times, but it was uh, very, very important to, to come away with that uh, that point last night. Scale.
0: Well, as you guys pointed out a couple of years ago, Dallas missed the playoffs by a single point, right? So every point uh, could matter at the end.
1: Yeah, you know, two years ago, was San Jose, I think you might remember, Glenn had a, a minus-20 goal differential, uh, and San Jose and SC Dallas ended up tied to the last spot in the West uh, when six teams were making the playoffs per conference, and San Jose had more wins. Uh, you know, they, you know uh, as you know, MLS moved to, to wins being the first tiebreaker, and uh, FC Dallas had uh, fewer wins than San Jose did, and San Jose had a horrible goal differential, but uh, still ended up qualifying the playoffs that particular year because FC Dallas had a late-season collapse. So, um, you know, every point at this point in time helps. Uh, they obviously had to, to put uh, their, their very – performance. They had a clunker Saturday in Chicago behind them, and I think that's another uh, another thing as well as uh, bouncing back from a four nothing and getting Chicago the other day. I think that uh, that's a big part of the storyline for Wednesday night's in Seattle. Well,
0: that was my next note here right below. So we're we're on that we're we're, we're synchronic right now, Mark. Uh, <laughs> Desperate nice. for a point, uh, and and the recovery. That, that's a shocking loss. I mean, the four goals were scored. I think in the first forty minutes of the game, so. To, to come back from that and, and, and get something, uh, it has to be uh, significant.
1: Well, this just uh, played incredibly poorly, and there's no other way to, to phrase it. Uh, you know, there's plenty of blame to go around. There's not one person worth singling out. It was uh, just across the board, not good. Um, I'm sure Chicago was energized by the ownership announcement and the, the change and what's going on there. Uh, but that's still, you know, no excuse for just how poorly SD Dallas defended and mistakes and just things that shouldn't happen. But, uh, you know, everybody's going got to lay an egg or two over the course of the season. Really unfortunate timing for SD Dallas on that. But I think, uh, I'm a big believer in the back to the future concept of the space time continuum. And once you do one thing then that affects your mindset and how you approach the next thing, uh, it probably should be that way all the time, but, but I do think there is something to that. So, uh, I'm sure that the the very sour taste and, quite frankly, humiliation they had to be feeling about how poorly they played on Saturday, and, the guys and brought out uh, a really solid effort in the game against Seattle on Wednesday.
0: And then you get what I'm sure uh, there was some uh, scoreboard watching or, or something, at least at the end of the game, seeing the result. Portland at home losing to the Red Bulls 2-0, and the Timbers Six straight road games, and they've lost four of them. So, and now they drop below the line, the playoff line, on 43 points. Uh, they do have a game in hand on FC Dallas, but Dallas moves into the, uh, the playoff position with this too. So this, this Western Conference has, uh, well, let's see, it's uh, seven points now separating uh, second place Seattle and eighth place Portland. And it's been kind of like that, uh, that tight, even tighter at times, over these last few weeks.
1: Absolutely, it has been. It's been very fluid. Uh, I like Seattle, and and I certainly think that they're in the mix. Uh, Minnesota has really impressed me. I thought they faced a tough schedule, Glenn, and they've been able to – they had a weird result last weekend against Houston, uh, or last week during a midweek game against Houston. But outside of that, look, to go get a win against LASD a couple of weeks ago was was really, really important. Uh, I think when you look at the West – the fact that Portland hasn't taken advantage of all their back end home games uh, that they have scheduled because of the Providence Park uh, renovation project that put them on the road a lot at the beginning of the season. Uh, Portland has to taken advantage of that, so, so FC Dallas is grateful in that regard. And if you're going to keep the scoreboard-watching team going farther, uh, the team that uh, the NYCFC defeated last week, San Jose, uh, they've got the toughest run in. They've still got to play Atlanta, Philadelphia, Seattle, and Portland the rest of the way. So, yeah, that's uh, uh that's another team yeah yeah else will be watching them closely
0: as well yeah that's scheduled down the stretch for San Jose well we're going to find out whether uh yeah what they're made of you know in terms of uh, of a playoff team this year they've been one of the great stories uh in MLS this year but if they if they fail uh to, to earn a playoff spot then you have to wonder Looking uh, looking about. Mark uh, Folliwell, the uh, TV voice for FC Dallas, our guest here. You may have also heard him at the World Cup. Worked for Fox, uh, did the World Cup in France uh, in 2019. Hey, I, you, you brought one thing up, a midweek game. And I'm just curious because I'm, I'm starting now to maybe take a poll, anybody I talk to, with charter flights becoming... A huge talking point now, and in my discussions with Eric Miller, uh, the player rep for uh, New York City FC, is also on the executive board for the Players Association. You know, it's it's going to come up. And do you know, does FC Dallas, do they normally use their allotment of four? Have they used any yet this year? Do you know? I mean, sometimes that that's kind of, if you're not traveling with them, I know sometimes that's uh, kept a secret, but uh, what do you know?
1: you know i don't know if they've done that or not um you know the, the the main thing i can speak to about uh chartering of course is in my uh and i i referenced this on our telecast about something that happened with raul Ruiz Diaz turning his ankle last night And i said in my other life as the uh, mavericks tv voice i That's see right. a guy uh turning his ankle uh like raul Ruiz Diaz in a particular situation last night and in my other life as well Glenn. uh you know, I can speak to the charter flight aspect of things. And, and look, that's, uh, that's a really, really important thing. Um, you know, it, uh, it allows you to manage your schedule and not only does it allow you to manage your, your schedule in terms of flying, but there's just, uh, there's creature comforts, there is ability for treatment, there's ability from a, from a medical rehabilitation, treatment, recovery standpoint, all those sorts of things. Uh, the, 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 the physical, freedom of movement that you'll have over the course of a long flight when you're on your own charter, just in your own little collective group obviously is a lot different than on a commercial flight. And I think, you know, the sleep and the getting back quickly, that's, that's really important too. But I do not think that, that, that just can't be overlooked. Uh, The aspect of, of treatment recovery and the sorts of things that you can do on your own plane again when you're just within your own collective group and, and you're not sharing with uh, you know, a hundred other people who don't who are wondering why, you know, three or four people are constantly going up and down the aisle with ice bags or yeah. whatever it is that they're doing. So so I, I think that's a really important thing and and, and you know besides beside the uh, security aspects of it and and travelling on you know, going on a bus and pulling up to the tarmac to the plane and not going through all of the big gaps they go through. there's just there's a lot of advantages to it, and uh, you know, hopefully for the players in the league. I know that uh, you know they want to see that happen, and we'll we'll see where it goes.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you are someone who's who's perfect to talk about it with. Uh, and I and I should have mentioned, I mean, boy, you've got a you've got a cool life. You do play by play for the Mavericks, play by play for FC Dallas. You work for Fox. Uh, good stuff and well deserved. I do want to let everybody know this is one of the nice guys in the industry. Has time for everyone. Uh, Mark Folliwell, uh really, uh, really respect you, and I, I thank you so much for for coming on and sharing some of this. But this charter stuff now with NBA athletes, you know, they're six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Can you imagine those guys on on a commercial flight in coach? <laughs> Or I mean, you know, it couldn't happen, I guess. But I miss it. Must have happened but, at some know, point. It,
1: but it did. It used to happen, Glenn. I mean, I, you know, and in, uh, in our lifetimes, uh, that was that was what you did. Uh, you know, charter flights on I mean, the NBA really sort of started in the mid to late 90s. And as a matter of fact, the Mavericks were one of the first ones. They had an old DC-8 that uh, flew out of Madison Airport, for anybody who's familiar with the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They didn't even fly a TFW or, or Love Field, the two commercial airports here. It flew out of a, a private airport just north of Dallas, and that started in the, the mid to late 90s. But, but it was not uncommon uh, that you would play a game and you would stay over and you were on the first flight out. Even if you had a back to I mean, obviously, uh, you had to do that if you had a back to back because you didn't have a late night flight option. So, uh, you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's not that far back in our past that those guys were having a flight coach. And, uh, you know, some of those guys got first class if you were uh, a veteran player or the head coach or something like that. But, man, it's. Uh, it's a major change in, in how sports teams travel. That's all transpired here in the not too distant past twenty, the last twenty to twenty-five years.
0: All right, Mark. Let's, let's get back to FC Dallas on the field, and uh, I want to get your take on a few things. Uh, it, it's gotcha. a young team. It's a, it's a team over the years that uh, you know they are uh, the homegrown you know reps. You know they, they are the team that uh, has, has played the most homegrowns, has signed the most homegrowns. And, and it's a very young squad. I just look at some of the ages of the, of the players that were on the field against Seattle on Wednesday night. And I want to start with 18-year-old Jesus Ferreira because he's the son of a former MLS MVP. And you could talk about that a little bit maybe. And uh, Jesus has been in the academy since the age of eight and then signed as the youngest homegrown in Dallas history. So just for that reason, so much history there. And then the kid scored 48 goals in 50 academy matches. He's got seven goals and five assists this year. Tell us a little bit about him and his father, that relationship and how it relates to Dallas.
1: Well, Daddy Froheta was the MLS MVP, as you noted. That was in 2010. He had a fantastic season. A uh, Colombian player who came to play for FC Dallas, uh, starting, in, I believe, 2008, you know, all the 2013. And uh, you know, had a had a bad ankle injury in 2011, and his career was never quite the same after that. But he was MVP of the league in 2010. The year FC Dallas went all the way to MLS Cup and lost against Colorado when they played. If you all remember, Glenn, those, those two years they were playing MLS Cup at neutral sites, and they played up in Toronto and lost that particular game after extra time, as a matter of fact. And, uh, one of the heartbreaking moments uh, in, in this club's history. But, uh, Jesus, as you said, has been you know with the club a long time, and it's, it's, it's interesting to note that David Poteta is not the only one who had his son uh, in FC Dallas' academy system while they were dear. Uh, uh, Javi Morales... Uh, in a short time with FC Dallas, his son played in the academy. Uh, Minor Figueroa's son played in the academy for FC Dallas for a time as well. And I think it's just really important to stress, not just from uh, Pereira's standpoint, and, and maybe a quick note on him in terms of uh, how he's playing this year. They've really started to, in the last, I would say, two months, somewhere around middle part of July, this started to happen. Rather than play as a number nine, they're playing him in this uh, system that Esti Dallas has of playing dual number eights. But clearly, Pereira, the two number eights, is the one who's pushed much higher up and playing something much closer resembling a number 10 than he is playing a number eight. And, uh, you know, it's something, a a role that he played in the academy. He can play on the wing. He can be a nine. He's got some versatility. Uh, There have been some pretty good moments with it. But there are also still some moments, I think, that – you know, his instinct is to, to push a little bit higher up the field, and, and you know, he's got to, uh, in that role, also be able to defend. Do you, um, do you, you know... And I think the thing... Oh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Glenn.
0: No, no. Do you... Uh, no, uh, I wanted to just to make sure I got this in. Is uh, is Ferreira, Jesus Ferreira, is he at all on the on the radar for the U.S. men's national team? I know he's played with the U-17s and the U-20s. I also know he's a he's got dual citizenship with the U.S. and Colombia. And there certainly has uh, been some massive discussion about how we interact and, and keep players like him here in the States if, if we feel he's worthy. Uh, what do you know about that?
1: Uh, the, the main thing that I know about it is that there was certainly a desire to make sure that he got the U.S. citizenship thing taken care of uh, so he would be eligible for that. Uh, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of talk about that since that was all ironed out, I believe, at some point in time in 2018. But, uh, you know, I certainly think that it's something on the radar, and I know that SD Dallas is going to work uh, in every way possible to in whatever way they can help us just make that happen. Uh, you know, they're, they're certainly on board with that because the, the big-picture point that I think all of your listeners need to understand is how – how invested in this academy system and how proud they are of it. Uh, Dan Hunt, SC Dallas' president, um, you know, and part of the Hunt family, Clark Hunt, of course, Lamar Hunt, uh, you know, arguably the godfather of soccer in America uh, with with all the great things he did to grow the game. Um, You know, Dan is not shy about saying that SC Dallas very, very much wants to win an MLS Cup sooner rather than later. However, their model for pursuing it is that their dream is win an MLS Cup Starting or playing 11 homegrowns. And, you know, whether or not uh, something like that's realistic still remains to be seen. Uh, you know, they, they certainly do have connections, particularly going after players in the South American market. And there have been some pretty good hits in that regard over the years for F.C. Dallas. Javi Pereira, uh, the former MVP, being one of them. Mauro Diaz coming from Argentina. Carlos Guerrezo had a good run with SC Dallas as well. Uh, so they certainly had their share of success. Brian Acosta, who, uh, you know, was back and played and, and, and played a, a pretty big part, I think, in their uh, their point against Seattle on Wednesday night. They, they've had their success going after that Central and South American market. Uh, but, but, you know, the academy is where it's at, and that's why I think the reason why Lucy was hired as head coach, because of his, familiar, his familiarity with those players and his willingness to give those young players an opportunity. And it's happened with who we were speaking of, Jesus Pereira, among many, many others this year, they've, they've had the opportunity to, to get out on the field and get valuable minutes. And uh, you know, Some have obviously performed better than others, but, but there have been a lot of players. Be that door open for them to get on the field and play meaningful minutes this year because of the, the belief and the desire to make the academy just uh, such a, an important focal point of this club from, from, from the very top to the very bottom.
0: And you really have to respect that philosophy. Uh, you mentioned Acosta, Honduran national team player, and uh, we're going to bring up a couple of other players uh, also. But you mentioned the Hunt family as well, and certainly Lamar Hunt is given a lot of credit for simply saving MLS in 2001 you know, from bankruptcy. But if you yeah. juxtapose that with the current situation, and uh, is it realistic in MLS to win with 11 homegrowns on the field? Or don't you need, and then you have to go out and spend the money, uh, some of these uh, marquee kind of players, not just names, but who have the ability to come in and compete? Especially now, as we probably are seeing from collective bargaining agreement to collective bargaining agreement, uh, there might be a a loosening of the purse strings a little bit uh, in in terms of how TAM works, GAM, free agency. so. is that really a possibility, and what is, it, what is it like, and what are the feelings around FC Dallas as it comes to spending money on players?
1: Well, as the years have gone on, certainly they are spending more money on players, and I think that to answer your question, I, I think it's, it's hard to envision winning uh, at the highest level in the league with all homegrown players. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great cause, and it's, it's something that is fantastic from an American soccer perspective to pursue. But I think that the thing that you have to couple with it is that as the purse strings get loosened and as you start to spend a little bit more money, uh, realizing that from a budgetary standpoint and from a vision standpoint, SC Dallas will spend, but their spending is still not going to be at the top levels. So when you are going to spend what by comparison is a moderate amount of money, but you're hoping that you discover a good young player and you're able to make a smart signing, mining maybe the South American market for overlooked talent or young talent who's ready to blossom, you've got to hit on those players. So in the past, they've done that. And I mentioned some names, like uh, and I didn't even mention Bobby on Castillo had several good years here, who they, who they brought in from Columbia when he was 19 years old. And, Marl Diaz and Carlos Garazo came here when he was 21 years old and had uh, a, a good spell as a holding midfielder for SD Dallas. So that's some examples of it working. The unfortunate thing for SD Dallas, though, is that they uh, continue, you know, to go that route, and they've also had some some signings that have it panned out. A Christian Coleman, who came here from Paraguay, and he's had, uh, you know, two seasons that he wasn't very good, and then he he hasn't seen the field in MLS this year because he's been recuperating from. And, ACL, and he's only been playing with their uh, USL League One affiliate, North Texas FC. Uh Santiago Mosqueda, they brought him to Millonarios in Colombia at the start of 2018. And he was okay last year, but he hasn't even been okay other than spurts this year. So, you know, to me, I think the model that would be the most realistic is yes, we're going to have a lot of homegrown players, but it has to be coupled with. Uh, can I find a couple of guys in the super draft? Because I'm still a believer that that's a tool to build your team. And can I make can the, when I do decide? Okay, I'm going to go spend uh, two or three million dollars in the transfer market, which obviously a lot of other teams are spending a lot more than that. But, but when you're talking about uh, spending a two to three million dollar transfer fee on a player, that's that's at the very top of uh, anything that has ever done. So when you do things like that, you've got to hit on those players, and at times they have in the past. Uh, recent examples have not been as good. So, so I think the, the realistic model is if you can draw from those three things: the homegrowns and uh, you know what other domestic talent you could find. There's the super draft or smart trades, and then you know how can you can you mine the international player market with uh, making sure when you are willing to spend that money that you scout well and you hit on those players, which, uh, you know, has happened in the past for FC Dallas, but they're by no means 100% on that, and and they probably would, would certainly like to get better in that regard.
0: And another one of those uh, uh, younger players, Mark, uh, we're with Mark Folliwell, the TV voice for FC Dallas, 19-year-old Paxton Pomichol, the the uh, Texas native who – We've got a chance to see now with the, the U.S. men's national team. And uh, give us a description of how he's fit in at Dallas. I, uh, I read something after the Seattle game that he was moved out to the wing as part of a tactical change. That'll bring us to Lucci Gonzalez after we talk about Paxton. What say you about Paxton Pomichol?
1: Uh Paxton's had a really good season, Glenn. Uh, you know He's got playmaking ability. Uh, he's going to defend. I think ideally his role is a, a box-to-box midfielder is the number eight. Um, but, you know, last night, you are correct, he did play on the right wing. Uh, that was a tactical change. They put Barrios playing down the middle uh, to, to see if he could uh, do some things to loosen up the center backs so of Kim Keehi and, and Ariaga for Seattle. But, uh, you know, look, Paxton is a hard-working, talented player uh, who I, I've spoken in link with about the fact that, you know, he, he – has has gone through the the path of being patient. Uh, You know, his his family wasn't trying to push him to play up a level uh, and play up age groups when he was younger. He he played in his own age group. He was patient. He waited for his opportunity. And and he came into this season uh, very, very desirous of finally getting consistent first-team minutes. And he's earned that opportunity, and he's done well with it. Uh, You know, there there have been the challenges of this is his first year being a first-team, first-choice player and having played now well over 20 games and under-20 World Cup duty and then called into the U.S. Men's National Team September camp and getting his first uh, appearance in that friendly last week against Uruguay. So from a physical standpoint, this year has been challenging for him. I think he'll be the first one to admit that uh, you know he's had moments where the, the fatigue has gotten to him a little bit, but he knows that he's, his body is adapting, and he said, I'll be a lot better next year because of the experience that I've gone through this year.
0: And uh, there's a a youngster, uh, uh, I was curious, uh, for New York City FC, Keaton Parks, who just got his uh, first uh, career MLS goal uh, in the last match. But he's a Texas native, and uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit later. I'm at training today, and we're recording this on a Thursday morning. And he's coming home. So are are there any stories, do you anticipate any stories, or have there uh, been any about Keaton Parks coming back to Texas?
1: Well, you know, I don't know much about Keaton Other than I know that he's from the area. He, he was grew up in Plano and then ended up uh, playing and and attending high school in Frisco for some period of time. So, look, uh, we have a, a great tradition of producing very, very good players here in this area. Uh, some of them, unfortunately, you know, from the FC Dallas side of things, fall through the cracks uh, or decide to make a move overseas before they sign as a homegrown. You know, Weston McKinney stands out as one. Chris Richards is another one who was in the academy, and then. Uh, with the relationship with Bayern Munich he ended up going over there, so there's just uh, there's great players here, and Keaton Parks is, uh, and Paxton Pominicall both the guys who are talking about right now are are part of that group. And I think that's uh, a really exciting aspect of the game this weekend. And Keaton will be back here in yeah. the uh, Dallas Fort at Edge Place.
0: Uh, Parks, a 22 year old, he's on loan from Benfica. Yeah, he uh, he split quickly for Europe uh, to go to Portugal and-, and try his stuff there. Hey, one final note: it's your head coach uh, Luchi Gonzalez. Uh, seventh coach in Dallas history, a guy who played college ball uh, in the States, won the Herman Trophy at SMU, but director of the uh, FC Dallas Academy for three years. So he, he's always had this uh, this notion, this idea, the uh, the ability to work with younger players and that whole development aspect. So he seemed like the perfect choice for a club that really uh, has this aspiration to have 11 homegrowns to win an MLS Cup that way. So w- was was he absolutely uh, the perfect choice for this group?
1: I think he was a great choice. And just, you know, there's uh, it, it's in his blood, the academy. He's certainly not shy about that. And, you know, he was the director for three years, but he his relationship coaching the under-16s initially goes back all the way to 2012. So he's part of the club now. This is his eighth season, seven season coaching or directing at some or multiple levels of the USC Dallas Academy system. Uh, you know, and he believes in possession-based soccer and building out of the back. And you know, he certainly has learned. And he'll be the first to admit that that he has had to learn that I have a system, but there are times when results are important, and I want to play my system, and I want us to to grow within it, and to learn how to play it, and We'll be all better players if we push ourselves into that. But results matter, and so sometimes you have to be pragmatic. So as the year has unfolded, uh, you know he's he's been willing for the team whenever it's been necessary to play a little bit more direct. Uh, I don't think he would want it to be characterized as we're just gonna you know send long balls forward and it's gonna be a duel. Right. His idea still is if you it still is if you do play more direct uh, that that you know he would explain it to you like this, Glenn, that we we can play A to C. We don't always have to play A to B to C, but we still want to have a plan. It doesn't. We don't want to play hit-it-and-hope long balls. If you're going to play more directly and you're going to play long balls, uh, you know, still we want to be synchronized in our movements. You know, you want the long ball to be a pass and not just something that's up for grabs as a duel. And so, you know, to, to have a vision and have a plan. And, and you know, as I said, uh, you know, you're not just uh, – just launching a ball up to a point on the field for somebody to go win. Uh, it's, you know, rather than our normal plan of breaking a press and building out of the back and going ABC, we'll go A to C and skip B, that, that sort of thing. But, but Lucy believes in that system and, and possession and building and pressing and the press not just being one person, but it being a, a, a collective group and all of the movements, you know, having, having a relationship to one another. And and to be honest with you, that's why, as Androsik, for example, hasn't been on the field much this year uh, because they didn't like how what he what he was doing from a pressing standpoint early in the season. And and that's another one of those signings that they made in the off season that uh, until recently hadn't panned out. But but he's been playing better lately. But uh, you know, it was just Luigi's vision of how he felt like the game should be played that. Uh, a guy who could score some goals and score a lot of goals in Poland at the club level, just hadn't been able to break into the team much until recently and then had some success. But, but Luke, has been a great, um, you know, having a, a fine first year, he's learning things. And, and as I said a, a minute ago, he'd be the first person to say it's been, uh, a learning experience and I knew that I was going to have to adapt to it. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, he, he desperately wants this team in the playoffs. He would not look at it as, well, we're rebuilding and we're just playing to give young people a chance. So, you know, we know we want to give young people a chance, but we want to win games and, and, you know, we want to make the playoffs. And, and that's what they said right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, promoted when Oscar Pereja resigned, last November. Uh, one final, final note. Uh, I almost forgot about the Hall of Fame. Uh, I've been there once, you, very fortunate. Frisco, Texas, right at Toyota Stadium. It's right there, and uh, it's, it's, an, it's a wonderful facility. And this weekend, uh, two uh, well, legendary names in the game. Uh, Sunil Galati, the former U.S. soccer president. Whatever you think of Sunil, he's a legendary figure, has been very influential. And then uh, Abby Wambach, who's you know scored more goals than anybody, and uh, they'll both be inducted. So a pretty special weekend. You got the game, but then you also have the ceremony the night before.
1: Yes, and I'll be at the ceremony. I'm seeking seeing the ceremony, as a matter of fact. So, so really wow, to be I will be in
0: the audience. So I'll provide my critique Excellent. afterwards.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, as you said, uh, the, the the national soccer hall of fame. Um, you know, it's it's a wonderful facility. I think the thing that everybody here really prides themselves on is that um, you know when you think Hall of Fame, you think relics and old, and uh, you know you think about that you're you're looking back into the past. But they've really tried to make this a much more modern Hall of Fame experience, and they love to use that word experience, uh, you know, with the with interactive things and uh, you know just. Uh, you know being able to go and you have a you know a, a profile when you go there uh as well uh from from things that you like to see and like to experience there so there's just a lot of technology that's that's a really unique aspect of it so so for anybody who makes their way to the Dallas-Fort Worth area and if you're a fan of this wonderful sport then I would I would highly recommend a stop over there it's uh it's a really really cool place and obviously it will be uh the center of a lot of attention this weekend.
0: Well, good luck as the Masters ceremonies. Uh, Mark Folliwell, uh TV voice for Dallas, FC Dallas, also TV voice for the Dallas Mavericks. And you also uh, see him and hear him on Fox uh, doing uh, soccer, most recently the World Cup uh, in France. Uh, you know, Mark, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you on the weekend. And uh, good luck with everything.
1: You got it, Glenn. We'll see you on Saturday at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Looking forward to it.
0: All right. And uh, that'll do it for this edition of On Frame. Uh, You can listen to the New York City FC Dallas broadcast on WNYE 91.5 FM and also the New York City FC Network worldwide on TuneIn. Airtime 5.45 p.m. Eastern we will have the head coach Dome Tarant, my broadcast partner, the former Millwall Central defender, Matty Lawrence. This is Glenn Crooks on Frame.